Welcome to the Not Quite Compassion podcast. This is episode number 31, entitled Affirming Church with Pastor Elizabeth Ingram Schindler. Uh, she's the lead pastor of Faith Church in Sammamish, Washington, which is like a few blocks from my house. Um, and uh, in addition to that, she gained her Master's of Divinity from Duke University, uh, and she's part of the uh, United Methodism. Um, so if you didn't know, that denomination is... Um, is in the process of trying to discern whether or not they want to become a LGBTQ plus affirming denomination. And it looks like it's probably headed for a split. And yet Pastor Elizabeth is um, trying to help people move towards inclusion and affirmation of the LGBTQ plus uh, community. And so she shares a lot about her theological convictions, uh, how she arrived there, uh, and then also how to how she's been trying to gently and yet um, with conviction and kindness um, steer people not only in her congregation but also in, in the denomination towards an affirming position. I just found her found her to be so wise but also incredibly gentle, uh, and it was a challenge to me personally. Uh, also, one quick little programming note is uh, we got this one, and I got uh, next episode is on um, uh, institutional whiteness. And then I'm going to do um, a wrap-up episode on my own. And then we're going to call it a season because the holidays are coming and the biz is, is busy and I'm, um, I'm tired. So <laughs> it's been a hell of a season. But I just want you to know we are uh, starting to land a plane and I'm excited about it. So uh, enjoy. Okay, um, welcome, uh, Elizabeth. Uh, I'm just I'm excited. Uh, I've been, I, we've been uh, trying to schedule this one for a while, and it just um, I just I just de- have deeply respected you from afar. You know, we've mm-hmm. had some interactions, but uh, even though your church is like like through a five minute walk from my house, um, but <laughs> but it's just really good to have you uh, on the podcast. So thank you. Thanks. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for uh, the invitation. Yeah. And I think one of the, um, one of, one of the many things I admire most about you has been your, um, your, your advocacy and your, um, your affirmation of the LGBTQ plus community as a church leader. Um, and I know that hasn't come without a cost and, um, and my, my, my in-laws go to your church. And so I've, I've heard some of the, um, you know, that hasn't been an easy road necessarily, but, um, I've just really admired your, um, your firmness in your, in, in, in your decision and your position. And I just, I don't know, I would love to, um, uncover more of like how that came about and, sure. and your own, um, evolution on that topic. Sure. No, I mean, I'm delighted to talk about that. Yeah. It's, um, it, cer- it certainly has been an evolution. It's, um, you know, I grew up in the South in North Georgia and really didn't, the church I grew up in, we didn't teach anything about sexuality except that you should wait until you're married uh, to have sex. So there, I, I didn't grow up like hearing things like homosexuality as an ab- abomination or anything, but also knew that it was um, not normal. I mean, I think that was sort of the implicit message. And so, um, I, 
I think my understanding of sexuality really didn't start to expand until, of course, like so many things, I met people who identified themselves as gay or lesbian um, in college and and then in grad school and um, began to see how incredibly faithful these people were. And in some cases, how incredibly gifted for ministry leadership, um, but who would never become pastors because of their denomination stance on sexuality and ordination. And I just really began to grieve about that. And it, and it made me do a deeper dive into theology and, you know, where do these um, views and understandings come from and why do we believe what we believe? And it is an inclusive stance really just sort of giving into pop culture, which is the accusation or is there um, a reasonable way to get there? And as I prayed and studied and learned and, and talked with lots and lots of faithful people. Um, I just came to the conclusion that, that we have to be inclusive, that there's nothing about sexuality in itself that would keep people away from serving God at any level uh, in the church or otherwise. And um, I know that the church has hurt so many people in a lot of different ways, but especially in terms of sexuality and it seems like if there's anything I can do to start to heal those wounds and invite people into the community of church, I'd much rather err on that side than um, be too stringent in, in a more conservative stance. And so, you know, I feel like I could do, I'm sure I could do more. There are certainly people who are much louder um, advocates for inclusion. Um, what I've tried to do here is uh, a sort of, walk a quieter path in a lot of ways in order to try to bring some folks along who are exploring, um, but who haven't necessarily like landed anywhere yet. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's been really good for me and for some folks in the church who have thought, yeah, we should be inclusive, but I don't know why. Um, So we've been able to have some really, really good conversations and, you know, the church has lost members uh, on that same path. So you're right. It hasn't always been easy, but I think, um, and full disclosure, right. I'm ordained in a denomination that does not, uh, officially ordain anyone, uh, who's LGBTQIA plus. And so, you know, I'm always living in that tension that yeah. United Methodists in our, in our book of law, our book of discipline say both every person is of sacred worth. And anyone can serve God at any level of the church. And we say homosexuality uh, is incompatible with Christian teaching. And um, if you are practicing or the practice of homosexuality, we don't say homosexuality as like an idea is incompatible. But if you act on your love, then um, you're incompatible and you can't be ordained uh, or married. That's the intention. Yeah. (laughs) It's a huge tension. And of course, like there's nothing actually about the whole spectrum of LGBTQIA in our rules, because the only thing we have is from the 1970s. We've been fighting about it since it was made a rule. Hmm. Um, But I just think, you know, a, it's, it's kind of a crazy thing. I think to be dividing a a denomination over, Um, we have so many, I mean, we, we could, 
be addressing uh, homelessness and immigration and yeah. uh, war and you know so many other things. Climate um, change. Oh yeah, right. You know, yeah. we we like pray every week for these giant natural disasters that are happening uh, primarily due to climate change, and and then we just go right on fighting about sexuality. Mm-hmm. And it, man, <laughs> like that doesn't even make any sense. Yeah, yeah. But I think you know, I think it's a it's a deeper issue than just like who gets to have sex with whom, right? Like we yeah. we always start with the rules of like what you're not allowed to do. Hmm but we don't actually talk about like what it means to be created in God's image as sexual beings. Mm -hmm. And like, if we believe that, you know, in creation, God said, here are these bodies and they're male and female. Um, And you know, it's a, it's semantics, but the text doesn't say male or female says male and female. Um, And God says, this is very good. And and sets them in the garden and like, they don't have to have sex yet because like they're going to live forever and they don't need to multiply. But, um, but they are sexual beings, right. Mm-hmm. And they're created in God's image and it's all good, but we don't we, like, we never in the church talk about what that means or what it means to have goodness sort of inherent in our bodies and for sexuality as part of our bodies to be good or part of our image of God. And so we just go straight to like what you're not allowed to do. We, we, act as if the Bible starts in Genesis three, right? (laughs) We start defining people by what they lack, which is I've always held to the idea that that is inherently undignifying of a person. It's incredibly so. And then, and then when we're talking about sexuality, we go straight to like, we, we do like to refer to Genesis two, right? That, that, God saw that it wasn't good for the man to be alone. And so God made him a helper. Right. And it was even, mm-hmm. she was female. And so obviously, um, you know, male and female should be together. But what I find so interesting is right after God says, it's not good for the man to be alone. God creates all the animals and like parades them in front of Adam one by one and says, you can give these animals their names. And by giving them names, you have authority over them. And, you know, here's all this um, sort of diversity of creation that you can explore and it's, it almost feels like, like in my imagination, that's almost like the process of evolution, which I know doesn't um, match up with what evolution actually is because the person is already there and yeah. in evolution, like the people are at the end. But I sort of imagine this well, like- the timeline whole, of, of Genesis is a little bit well, wonky anyway, to be fair, right? Right, right, right. right. <laughs> it doesn't exactly- I, Yeah, I imagine God's like, well, let's try this. Oh, that's not a good companion. And like, here's something better. That's not a good companion. And here's something better and better and better. And- um. And it's almost like this pageant, right, yeah, of, yeah. of uh, creation sort of sort of walks in front. He's like in the throne room or whatever, and like everybody's just parading in front of him. And he's like, all right, this is a horse. This is a cow. Uh, none of these are compan- good companions for me. And like, you know, maybe there was even like a golden retriever in there. And he's like, eh, close, but not quite. And then <laughs> the reason that Eve is a good companion is because she's like him, mm. not because She's different from him, mm. right? And and yet, when we talk about what it means to be companions, we always go to the difference and how our physical bodies fit together as male and female. And I just, I'm not sure that we're not missing something in that we're made to be companions with one who is like us. Mm. And um, 
I don't know. I mean, I, and, and of course we see that played out in so many different ways in the church from like monastic communities to married people to, you know, parents and children, or, you know, there's so many different ways to be companions to one another, dear friends committed to one another in covenant. But, um, you know, it doesn't like, there's, there's not a real clear sense, even to me in Genesis that like the purpose of this companionship is like these two puzzle pieces of genitalia fitting together. Mm. Like that doesn't really. Yeah. That doesn't seem like that's, that's not in the story. Mm -hmm. And of course this is all, um, this is all the Hebrew scripture and Christians jump right into that without any kind of context. And then we make these, we Christians make these arguments that, um, you know, marriage has to be between man and woman because of procreation. And yet, um, Christians aren't made through procreation, Hmm. right? And like in Jewish culture, you are born into Judaism. So that through your mother, so that makes sense that Jews would need to procreate to sort of expand Judaism. But Christians aren't born into Christianity. We're baptized. Mm-hmm. We're adopted. Mm-hmm. So by the very We're nature of means to yeah. be Christian, we don't actually have to procreate. We're, we're called to evangelize, um, but not necessarily to birth new Christians. And so, that, I mean, to me, that argument, in addition to like, being completely um, insensitive to couples who are infertile or yeah. women post-menopause who can't procreate. Like none of that fits in, but also just theologically, I'm not sure that procreation is the highest end of uh, companionship hmm. as it's presented in Christian scripture. Yeah. I hadn't thought of it that, that way before. That's fascinating. And I do, I, I really do uh, admire your approach of trying to bring people along gently. I, I think that is underappreciated. Um, and yet looking back at my own story, that was pivotal, you know, like I, sure. I keep thinking about Darren Hansen, who, um, you know, met with me for coffee a couple different times as a LGBTQ plus affirming person. And, uh, and East Lake Church at the time changing its position and me having problems with it and being a part of that church and was like, oh, I don't know, and, um, years and years ago. And yet he was just so gentle and patient and, and kind to me. And it was never, for him, it was never, it was like, if, if you don't change your mind, we're still friends. And right. um, it was his kindness that led me to repentance. Hmm. You know, it really was. Like the song back. goes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I just, I, yeah, I just want to, for what it's worth, I just want you to know that that's, I, I think that's underappreciated in our culture today. Cause we're just, at least I am, I'm very much in my zeal to advocate. I forget how I was advocated to, <laughs> you know, like how uh, sure. in my zeal to change someone's mind. I forget how others changed my mind. And it was not like you are so bigoted and, you know, it was like, Hey, have you thought about this? You know? And I, I think right. that approach is, is what's needed more and more. How do you, um, uh, not to get too much in the weeds, but I, I am curious. Sure. I'm less curious. I'm more interested in what others listening to this might think <laughs> terrible premise for me to okay. crush it up. <laughs> but, but, um, what would you say about some of the, um, 
the more uh, I guess some people it's labeled more more problematic uh, scriptures and or verses in in the Bible around um, sure. homosexuality. There's like the seven big ones or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I apologize. Our um, landscapers are here, and I think they're about to leaf blow right outside my window. So I'm going to pretend it's not there. This is a low income podcast. My yeah, dog's barking cool. downstairs. We're oh, good. there they are, right there. Oh good. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, they're like, I'm the only one who comes in on Fridays. And so, well, oh. usually, and, uh, so they come cause like, they're not bothering anyone <laughs> <laughs> except me. Anyway, uh, the problem scriptures, yeah, you know, they are really tough and I really struggle with that. And, and I grew up, uh, also in a sort of, uh, you know, an in- inerrant, infallible Bible community. And, um, during yeah, seminary, I really, I feel like I had to, I really came out of that. Yeah, no. I, I just think it's so hard to like engage in scripture if it, if we can't engage, engage it. That's like, that's like a, it's a terrible statement, but I think, you know, so much of the purpose, at least of the gospels is like to meet Jesus. And if we can't like bring our whole selves to it and explore it and like figure out what's actually going on and who's talking to whom and what's happening in the context and and question it, question the language and the customs. Um, I don't think we can have a relationship through scripture. I, it's just words. You know, we can memorize it and, and little snippets might be really helpful to us, but I don't find that tenable. And I'm not, I'm not sure why we would be get, like for a God that continues to speak into our lives, that continues to send the spirit to speak to us and to help us understand scripture. Like, I just can't imagine that that same God would give us a scripture that's not like breathing and alive and like able to withstand our critique. Um, if we had to just take it as, uh, um, I can't, well, I can't think of like the right words, but it's, it almost feels like too fragile if we can't have conversations with the text. Um, if we have to just take them as they are, but I think, you know, growing up, it, it, I mean, those, those texts were definitely like, you know, I'd read, um, Paul's letters and think, well, you know, uh, homosexuality is fornication. It's an abomination and a man can't lie with a man. And, and that's not what, what God intended. And, and then also like doing the research of what's actually happening when those words are being written, there's, you know, it's, it's super clear that what, Paul is talking about, for example, is not um, two people of the same gender in a monogamous lifetime commitment. Like Paul's not talking about gay marriage because that doesn't exist in that context. It's not even an idea. He's not even talking about gay Christians. Well, right. So most of what he's talking about is like, you know, pederasty and, and uh, idol worship and, the use of young boys by more powerful men to try to, you know, control their sexual urges so they don't then rape women. Like it's, it's such a completely different context. And we all would still agree that all those things that Paul's talking against are wrong Mm -hmm. and they're out of line with the Christian ethic. And yet um, then we take that and apply it to, you know, a lifetime commitment between two adoring people who are growing in their selflessness and their discipleship by giving themselves to one another. Mm-hmm. And those are com- just completely different things. 
And I think the this is going off of the scriptures, but just thinking of like another topic that we usually go to is I, I think also, at least when I was growing up in the 80s and 90s, um, you know, AIDS was kind of new. We were all terrified. And there was this idea too, that if you were not straight, then you were, you were probably sleeping around, right? Like that there's, and part of that's the church's fault because we didn't make any space for like holy relationships. Yeah. Um, for anybody like we said, you can't get married. Don't come here. Um, yeah, we only provided bad news. <laughs> like it's like, Oh, yeah. you're, you're gay. Okay. Guess what? These are all the list of things you'll never enjoy, but it sucks to be you because we're really enjoying, uh, you know, uh, intimate relationships, meaningful, yeah. uh, long time, long-term partners, sex, uh, kids and come be a part <laughs> of this community where we all like enjoy it together, but not with you because yeah. you're different. You just and so we had this like, loneliness, loneliness yes, or whatever. Yeah. So we, we have this idea that like to be not straight in any way then um, is to be promiscuous mm. and like promiscuity is bad. And then we don't create any, any, you know, mechanism for lifetime commitment, which I think, you know, is like such a, a, a training ground for discipleship. Right. Yeah. I mean, you just have to, you learn so much about yourself when you give yourself to another person and have to live the ups and downs and the thick and thin and, you know, like, <laughs> learn to be okay with other people's eccentricities and like identify your own. And um, I mean, it's, it's, it's just like a little microcosm of what it is to be in the community, in the church. And then we said, you know, all of you people are outside and that's just not even true. So, so again, um, Christians take anything that feels outside of the norm and put it in this sort of completely, according to Christians, immoral basket of activity that may or may not even be true. Mm-hmm. And, and I just feel like we have so much repenting to do, not only about our actions, but just our beliefs about people um, and the way we judge people without knowing them. And, and what you said about like being um, sort of, I, I don't remember the word you use, like evangelize gently. Um, yeah. uh, that's totally my, my experience as well. You know, I began in earnest with a, a friend in seminary who sat me down and said, look, here's, here's the thing. And I need you to come alongside me. And I struggled through it. And, and I'm so, so grateful for those conversations. And in my first appointment as a pastor, um, I was one of, of multiple pastors on staff and the others were much more progressive than I was. And they said, that's okay. You do you. And also like, let's talk about this. Let's talk about sort of how we've ended up in this place and you're here and that's okay. But if you want to come alongside, you know, we're here to walk that path with you. And, and that was really helpful as well. Now I'm kind of going all in the circles, but um, great. yeah. And I mean, I think that's the thing that, that makes me, angry to be honest about sort of the use of those um texts in scripture is they're they're just so out of context um and we and we act like it's just so clear you know the bible is so clear mm. about about homosexuality or about gay marriage and um it's just not true because those aren't those aren't even ideas um, well and it for the biblical it, writers it shows i'd love to hear what you think about this i I think it reveals uh, uh, arrogance and an ignorance, an arrogance of our current position and an ignorance of the histor- history of 
mostly men who said that exact same thing, that the Bible is clear. Like they said that when the Bible is clear about slavery and the Bible is clear about separate water fountains and the Bible is clear about how women shouldn't vote, you know, and on and on and on. And we've since looked back back at that after, you know, through history and, and just been horrified by how could you believe that? you know, about another human being um, with inherent yeah. value and, and worth and dignity. Um, and so anytime I hear, even myself, if I start to go that route, that sense of certainty um, and, and making the Bible an end of its own rather than a means to an end, um, I get concerned, I guess. Yeah. And it, yes, I think... Uh, I think whenever I find my, whenever I feel certain about something, particularly in theology or scripture, I know I'm erring on the side of arrogance, right? Like I'm not actually in relationship or listening to, to the spirit anymore. Sufficiently but, confident. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that we just like <laughs> hold everything like, Oh, who knows, whatever, you know, like, no, do the yeah. work, you know, put the yeah. work in. But like at the end of the day, like, I don't think certainty is the goal. I think trust is the goal. Um, because back to your point, if it is an actual relationship, um, this is my rabbit hole that <laughs> I just think, uh, that trust serves in a relationship far better than certainty does anyway. Yeah. I think too, I mean, when we're talking about the text or, or like the dignity of people and you're talking about women, obviously that's one that I've dealt with a lot. Um, you know, so many clergy sisters continue to have people like show up at their church on Sunday and say, you shouldn't be a pastor. It says it in the scripture. So you're leading your congregation astray. And I've gotten plenty of those messages myself. Um, and just like men leaving the church saying like, what could you possibly have to teach me? And I'm like, Oh, well, good luck. You know, like I, I can't, I can't really change that for you, Yeah. but it, Oh my gosh. I'm I so also sorry. come back to like the same conversation. Th- thank you. That's so nice of you to say. Uh, I mean, it, at this point, you, I, I'm kind of used to it. And like, it doesn't bother me nearly as much anymore. But um, it's this, I think there is like a parallel conversation where people say like, I don't think you're not a good person, right? Or like that God doesn't love you. It's just that you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. And I, mm-hmm. I think that we, we tend to come at um, LGBTQ persons in the same way to say like, mm-hmm. obviously God loves you. Um, you're just like a little bit, wrong so or like this is your test of faithfulness that you have these urges or Mm -hmm. you know pray that away or or whatever and i just think you know even going back to the genesis text like that god created us to be in relationship like if we are created in god's image and i i believe that we are and god is trinitarian then god is already a relational god right god is in relationship within god's self and so we're made to be in relationship as well. And then we say to a whole group of people, 10% or more of the population, according to demographics, um, you are made to be in relationship, except not really. Right. So like I am and living like my fullest discipleship in relationship with the person I'm married to and I have children and I'm in relationship with them. And we share this sort of covenant life together, but you over here on the side, like you can only have fake relationships. You're not allowed to actually like express love and experience the joy that I have in marriage. Um, and I just wanted to like how we can continue to make those claims and also say like, you are a person of sacred worth and high dignity and you are God's beloved. I mean, it, 
it just, there's such a, like, we're just missing it there. Like we don't even necessarily name that, like that doesn't make sense. And I, and I think about the same way, you know, there have been a number of conversations I've had with um, folks from traditions that don't allow women clergy. And they're like, in the end, by the end of the conversation, often the other person says to me, well, I guess I can agree like that you're called to be, you specifically are called to be a pastor. I could just never go to your church. Mm-hmm. And it's like, like, we've just missed the point. Like you just yeah. said, oh, you're called for other people. Mm-hmm. But like, I'm set apart. I'm of this other class than you. And so like you go deal with those people and I'll be over here. And like, I just, it just feels like we're, we're missing the point and we're not even like paying close enough attention to see that we're missing it. Like that we can't say you're, you are um, of the same worth and dignity as I am and the same belovedness um, in the eyes of God. And yet we're putting you in a separate class. And I think the, the result of that oftentimes is people are, are needlessly wounded, right? Like that the the practical um, outworking of that is um, a church with an all are welcome sign out front. But when you are there with your partner after a couple of years and want to get married, you find out they won't, they won't officiate your wedding or that you can't be baptized or that you can't have a meaningful uh, leadership role on the church or speak up front or uh, teach children or um, become an elder or, or take communion even like it's all these because because they're viewing it as this hierarchy of these are th- these things are for us but not for you that's that's going to eventually hurt people and i and i i just um i i i don't know but i would love to hear if you dialogue with people about that and how that works because i i'm in constant dialogue with with pastors in mm-hmm. non-affirming churches of helping them see like just just be clear like Cause you don't actually mean what you're saying that when you say all are welcome and, and I get it. Like you're trying to have, I, I get it. If you're on a first date with someone, you don't want to air your dirty laundry either, <laughs> but like you're needlessly wounding people, you know, and, and yeah. um, maybe that's like drawing be- people into community and then kind of like shutting the door. Yeah. And yes. And I, I like, I want to respond to your, your question. The, the thing that, that, that brought up for me too, though, is like, um, just this concept of like all are welcome, right? We have that on our sign outside. Um, and we are not an official, what United Methodists call reconciling congregation. We haven't made that step to be um, officially welcome to the LGBTQ community. And one of the reasons is that, is that so often that says to anyone who's not yet affirming you're not welcome here. Mm. And we really are trying to say like, everyone's welcome and we want you even if you disagree and yet our first priority priority has to be to love each other and that's a place that's been so so difficult and and i really started thinking about that because when i i moved to the pacific northwest um right after seminary from the south and emma like despite what this conversation might lead people to believe i'm a pretty theologically conservative person i'm all about jesus and um, Jesus is the way and the truth and life. And I um, believe fully in the creeds that guide our churches, right? About uh, the virgin birth and resur- bodily resurrection and all those things. And so I was immediately labeled as a conservative and did not feel welcome in many of the churches in this area who said everyone was 
welcome. And what they meant was all progressives are welcome. And we want to welcome people that have not traditionally been welcomed in churches, which I appreciate. Um, and also when they said all are welcome, I thought that would include me hmm. and it didn't. And so I've tried in the churches that I've served to create a space where we can at least have these dialogues to say, like, you don't have to be Democrat or Republican. You don't have to consider yourself a conservative or progressive to come here. I want everybody to feel like they're welcome here so that we can have these conversations. Because if we're just an echo chamber, like we're not going to learn anything. Yeah. But you can't come in here and make some of our members feel less than. Hmm. Like that's not acceptable. So we can disagree, but we're going to have to do it in love. And we have to agree that loving each other well is more important than being right. Mm. And that is incredibly difficult to live out. And we've lost lots of people because of it. I mean, it's who just can't or don't want to, um, or don't have the headspace to engage in those conversations or to push themselves in that way. Um, And for whom, Loving people with whom they disagree feels like a slippery slope toward, you know, heresy, to Mm. be frank. And so that's been really difficult, too. You know, what does it really mean to say everyone's welcome in a space when it means some of those people are not naturally going to be nice to each other? Yeah. And how do you how do you create that sense of community? And I keep saying, like, what a gift to the world it would be if this church could show the community, how to disagree and love. Mm -hmm. And yet, like we have not yet achieved that. Well, and that's, that really is, I really, really like that. And I think it's because it's, it has a potential to be something that's actually inspiring to the world, right? Because the the world looking on is not um, surprised by people who get along that all vote the same, look the same, act the same. Right you know, think the same and watch the same news channel, you know, <laughs> but, but they are, they could be really inspired by a congregation that, that, that doesn't look the same and act the same about the same. And, you know, um, and yet still decide to move through that discomfort uh, for the right. sake of, of unity and, and, uh, and to, to learn from each other and to grow together. Like that's, that's rare nowadays more than ever. Right. And that's, and that's countercultural in the best, best framing of the word, right? <laughs> and it's rare even in churches, right? Because as, as people migrate to larger and larger communities around cities, then there are more and more options mm-hmm. for church. And so if you don't like what somebody's saying in one church, you just go to another one. Like yeah. it's the, just the way like church culture has evolved. There's, you know, in, in earlier days when there was like one of each sort of kind of church in each little community, you kind of had to learn to get along because mm-hmm. you had one option and those were your people and you just push through it. Mm-hmm. But now it's like everything's custom, right? We can get exactly what we want, the right music and the right preacher and the right theology and they're using the right translation of the Bible or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, the right kids program that we like and Right. If we don't have that. We'll just, yeah, we'll just go somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's a, it's a shift from moving from church being a, a product I consume for my, for my personal individual comfort to church being a place where I'm transformed 
for the communal good, right? Yeah. Shifting to that Trinitarian view, as you said earlier. That's, um, gosh, I really love that. That's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a needed reminder for me because <laughs> to, to get, to get the F off Twitter and, and engage more Ooh. with, with actual people so that I can be transformed <laughs> rather than just disagree or agree, you know? Well, and that's, um, that's part of the challenge in advocacy too, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's so much um, sexier for lack of a better word to like put a splashy statement on social media about what an, what an ally you are than it is to actually like go out and walk with people. Yeah. Um, that's much harder and like, nobody's going to see it. And so, you know, that just trying to walk that line too of like being faithful to the community, being faithful to people who have been wounded, being faithful to God's call in ways that are not necessarily going to get you a hundred likes. Yeah. You know, that's, that's another <laughs> challenge that uh, prior generations did not have to think about. Yeah. What, um, would you mind giving an update on just, uh, from my limited vantage point, it seems as if you've been on the front lines of, of, I guess, for lack of a better term, that advocacy within United Methodism. Sure. Is it United Methodism or United? Yeah. Okay. United Methodism. <laughs> um, and, and, and where's that at and how's that, how's that been to navigate that? Sure. Um, I think from, from here in the West, it's been, uh, honestly like a fairly easy gig um because so much of the west is is pro-inclusion um in terms of the united methodist church so much of our um membership and leadership is is pro-inclusion in the western half of the united states i say the west um we often refer to us ourselves as the west we're the western jurisdiction um which is just one of our many ways of uh, grouping people in geographically but it's um you know, one of the things that's really challenging for United Methodists in particular is that we're a worldwide denomination. We're not just in the U.S. or even primarily in the U.S. And so all of our big decisions are made at a global gathering of delegates, clergy and lay delegates from around the world. And so we're coming from a lot of different cultures. And uh, there are delegates coming who, if they voted for inclusion, you know, could be jailed in their imprisoned in their homes uh, or in their home territories uh, because of the laws there. And so it's a really challenging conversation. Um, and, and the church is growing much faster in other parts of the world than it is here, um, which is, I think, true across many, many denominations. But I think um, where we are right now is ready to split, frankly, um, for a more conservative uh, or traditional read of those texts to form a new denomination. And, and there's a group that's ready to go. They have a new name and everything. Um, but we're waiting for the gathering, that global gathering, which was supposed to happen in 2020 and was delayed because of COVID. And then it was supposed to be this past, like last month, August, and was delayed again to next year. So we're just sort of waiting um, for that gathering. And there's every anticipation that whenever we do gather that the church will split over human sexuality. And what remains to be seen is just what that 
means, what it means for folks who leave, what it means for folks who stay, how many people leave, how many people stay, what does that do to, you know, finance as an organization? Um, but there's some, there's some really positive, you know, moves. I mean, part of what that will mean, nobody I think can argue that like a split is God's will for the church. Right. I mean, that's, we have to grieve that. Yeah. Um, and we will absolutely, I, I will. Um, and there are people who have been a huge part of my life and faith journey who will no longer be a part of the same denomination as me. And I grieve that um, because we have different uh, readings of those texts. But I think um, what it will do is just free up a lot of space for for ministry to happen, for us to address things like climate change and uh, sex trafficking and, uh, frankly, discipleship. You know, how do we grow in our faith day by day, wherever we are, um, and and grow closer to the heart of God? It's really hard to stay focused on that when we're always fighting about sexuality. So yeah. there's there's a lot of hope, even in the um, schism that is to come, that we might just free up some space to do God's work. But that's, highlight, that's where we are. You highlight um, a tension that I, I've... I've wondered about a lot. Like I, to take another case study, um, I think about young life and, you know, I have, I have dear friends that are in leadership, um, roles, um, vocational roles within young life. And that I, that I know are, are internally, you know, LGBTQ plus affirming. Um, and yet young life just recently kind of doubled down on their position on that, uh, to a more traditional conservative view of, the reading of scripture, like you said. And, and so I struggle with um, that line between trying to change something from within, which I think is, is admirable to uh, I need to continue to collect a paycheck and I'm okay with being a little bit complicit with oppression. Right. This it's, it's super tricky. And I think, and the other option of that is like, I'm going to get out. Um, my protest is going to take me to another organization yeah, I'll, I'll go right? sell real estate or something <laughs> yeah. or or like for us i mean i think for a lot of united methodist clergy it's it's been i'll be i'll join the pcusa or the united church of christ or mm-hmm. i'll become episcopalian like and any of the other denominations that have gone through this and come out uh on the more progressive side um which frankly has been in part because most of those are american churches and so they don't have quite the worldwide culture, um, tension to wade Mm. through. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's a constant discernment of like, am I being complicit in the system that wounds people by staying or can I really make a difference? Um, and, and I think that really is like personal discernment for everybody. And for, for me, I continue to pray about it and I continue to hear the spirit saying, don't leave people behind, mm-hmm. right? Like, and again, it's like that call to bring people together who don't necessarily already agree that if I jump ship so I can go um, have conversations with people who agree with me more, mm-hmm. more regularly, then not only do I leave behind people who really love Methodism, who are LGBTQIA or you know, kids who have not come out yet, who are growing up in this church um, and really need a place to feel 
people loved and safe and able to be authentically who they are, which is, I think, part of what Jesus wants for us when he says, I come that you might have life and life abundant, that we can live our authentic selves in a safe space uh, in community. But I think not only that, but there are people who may be sort of on a journey toward inclusion who I would also be leaving behind. Yeah. Who would no longer have someone to have those conversations with, to, to ask the questions or say, have you considered, or in my reading, the context is this. Um, and for me, that continues to be a compelling reason to stay, um, to continue to try to have those conversations, to love on those young people, um, to make space for the grandparents whose, you know, grandkids just came out and they're not really sure what to do about it or how to respond or how to feel um, based on what they learned about the Bible growing up. So for me, it's, it's a, um, yeah, it would be, it would be really fun to not have to struggle, um, or to not lose church members, um, because of who I am. Um, that feels bad for, I mean, just to put it really bluntly, Yeah. but I feel like, you know, we, and, and I 100% um, understand and support colleagues who have left um, because they can't be complicit in this system anymore and they don't feel like it's going to change or they don't feel like they have any power to make it change. Um, I understand that too. And I honor that. For me, the spirit keeps saying, stick it out uh, and it'll get better. So we'll see. Yeah. Such a breath of fresh air, really. I, I really um, am taken by your wisdom and and your decision to continually place yourself in uncomfortable positions for, for the kingdom of God. It's really wonderful. Well, let's be clear. My position is not nearly as uncomfortable as my LGBTQIA siblings who are doing this work um, yeah. while their very lives and relationships are, are being critiqued constantly. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm in a pre- place of great privilege um Mm -hmm. where i am and living in the community that i live in where uh inclusion is sort of a given and it's um it's not nearly as counterculture as as folks who are doing this work in other parts of the country and other parts of the world so i appreciate your your affirmation and also um just want to say i'm not in nearly as much of a struggle as as many many people struggling to be faithful in this system or in this church but i but I, I hope that I can support them um, by doing this work here as well. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Absolutely. Thank you. I really got a lot out of this. That was excellent. I really appreciate it. Yeah, totally. All right. Until uh, next time. Okay. to the Not Quite Compassion podcast. And if you uh, would like to ask a question or drop a note or suggestion for a guest or something, uh, the best way to do that is to just uh, direct message me on Twitter. Uh, I'm, at, I'm at Kyle Reynolds. So at K-Y-L-E-R-E-Y-N-O-L-D-S. And uh, yeah, I'd love to hear from you. 
Um, thanks so much for listening. It really means a lot. If you want to share um, this podcast, that'd be great. And also, even better, if you want to rate it um, on iTunes, that would be huge. It helps give a little bit more visibility so more people can see um, that this can be helpful for them. So thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.